May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How long are you willing to wait for something? A minute? An hour? A day? A week? A month? A year? A decade? A century? A millennia? A millennium, sorry, singular. An eon? An age? Most of us will not live to see a century. So the idea of waiting for a century, let alone a millennium, let alone an eon, strikes us as nonsense. And yet, the people of God have been waiting for a Messiah since the very beginning. Since Adam and Eve first broke faith with God and turned their backs to Him and insisted on going their own way, they were sent out of the garden with their communion with God ruptured and broken, and yet there was still a promise. A promise from God that there would be a Messiah to crush the serpent's head. The one who would deliver the people and restore them to communion with God. That would reconcile that fellowship. That would keep faith in a way that we so often break. The people of God have been waiting for a Messiah for a long time. Since the beginning. Their whole history as a people, is one long period of waiting. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Is God's promise true? Is it time to despair? Maybe God has forgotten us. Maybe we are truly in this for ourselves and by ourselves. And we need to take matters into our own hands. These are the perennial human temptations to despair, to lose hope, to take matters into our own hands. You see, people have a built-in messianic complex. We are always looking for messiahs, the person or people who will save us from our troubles, be it a doctor or a nurse, a politician, a pundit, the kind of person who will help us to see the truth about the world, who will break us free from our darkness, who will enlighten us, who will give us hope again in the midst of our despair. We look for messiahs in all the wrong places. The people of God, the Israelites, they too were looking for messiahs in all the wrong places. They too saw their leadership as potentially messianic, we know in the history of Israel, in the history of all nations, there have been messianic figures that have arisen, have had great followings of people flock to their cause, only to have their messianic pretensions exposed and the whole movement just collapses. Because we are looking for a Messiah and we look in all the wrong places. Our culture doesn't know how to wait either, but more on that in a moment. The people were so tired of waiting that along comes John the Baptist. Ah, he must be our Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. He looks the part. 
We know that John wore camel's hair and had a leather belt tied around his waist. This is not just an odd sartorial choice. This is John reliving or recapitulating the prophet Elijah, right? largely seen as the culmination or the high point of all of Israel's prophets. So the people see John and they say, ah, it must be him. John, we know, lived a very different lifestyle. He lived in the wilderness. He removed himself from society. And there's speculation among scholars that he lived with a group of people called the Essenes, a very devout and strictly observant group of Jewish people who were waiting for the Messiah. They were very apocalyptic in their outlook. And John was possibly and probably a member of this group. So John had the right credentials to be a Messiah. He looked the part. He had the religious credentials to back him up. We know that people flocked out to the wilderness to hear him. He had the charisma to bring people around him. But John does not fall temptation to that messianic expectation that people had on him. John says, no, I am not the Messiah. I am not the one you were looking for. And the people are like, are you sure? Because we kind of wouldn't mind if you were. It's kind of like when Mike Babcock was hired as the head coach of the Maple Leafs and everyone's like, oh, finally, we're going to win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> no, maybe one day. But John does something, like that expectation, like he could have easily said, all right, well, I've kind of made a name for myself and these people are here, maybe I can get something out of it. But he says, no, no, I am not the one you are looking for. My job is to get you ready for him, to point the way, so that when he comes there will be no doubt that the Messiah is here and he is the one you are looking for. John stands as a powerful witness to all of us about how to wait and watch, how to watch and wait. Because his whole life was one of watching and waiting from the womb to the tomb. We know that story of when Elizabeth and Mary meet. John, who is in the womb, is doing somersaults of joy when Mary arrives because he knows the Messiah is on his way. A baby in the womb. John's whole life was destined for this calling to point the way to the Messiah. To the tomb, where he is unjustly beheaded by the powers that be just so that King Herod could fulfill some silly oath that he made. John's life was one of watching and waiting and preparing people for the Messiah. But our culture, as I said, we do not know how to watch or wait. We don't know how to wait because one day shipping is here upon us. Shipping kind of disruptions notwithstanding. We're used to the immediacy, to the immediate gratification that comes. If I buy something, I want it now. When is it coming? It's not soon enough. Same day shipping, that's why we pay for Amazon Prime, so we can have it now. And we don't know how to watch. We know how to watch our screens, be it phone, tablet, television, but we don't know how to watch in a deep and meaningful spiritual way. We just fill our lives 
with noise. The noise of all of it. Because we don't know how to wait. And because we don't know how to wait, we don't know how to watch. And because we don't know how to watch, we don't know how to wait. So we're stuck in this vicious cycle of the news cycle of whatever is on social media. Well, whatever we can buy to kind of fill that time. But John, as I said, teaches us how to watch and to wait. John watches. He tests the spirits of the age. We know this because he preached a message that was not a message that people would want to hear. A message of self-improvement and self-betterment and you've got this. He teaches a message or preaches a message for the repentance of sins. You are all messed up and you need the forgiveness that only God can bring. And everything in your life that you fill with, with that noise, only God will ultimately satisfy. He tests and discerns what's going on. He sees things as they are. He sees that Herod, the ruler of the age, his political power does not make him morally able to do whatever he wants. We know John gets killed because he holds King Herod to the same moral standard that all people are called to. And John waits. Sorry, he watches, I forgot. The one other thing in our reading, John, there's a moment of doubt there, isn't there? He sends his disciples to Jesus and says, okay, my whole life has been leading up to this moment of, of preparing the people for the Messiah and I'm in jail. I know my life is coming to an end. I just need to make sure that everything I've known to be true is in fact true. And Jesus says yes to his disciples of John, the disciples of John. Because everything that the Messiah is supposed to do to heal the blind, to heal the lame, to heal the lepers, to heal the deaf, to raise the dead and to have the good news brought to the poor are all prophetic expectations that the people were building. We see it throughout the scriptures and the prophets that these are things that the Messiah will do. And John, Jesus reminds John, yes. Yes. And so that promise of raising the dead to John, who is essentially at this point a walking dead man, is good news. Because John can find assurance that his life has not been wasted because everything that he has done is being blessed by the one he pointed to. And Jesus points back to John and says, this is a prophet and more than a prophet. A messenger who has prepared the way. He prepared the way, but we know that people were no less willing to hear Jesus than John at times. Because again, the message was one of repentance and forgiveness of sins. But we don't have time for that. We just like the feel-good Hallmark greetings. Not the work of opening ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. But John reminds us and teaches us how to watch and how to wait. We watch by testing and discerning the spirits. Not by turning on another screen to get the latest news. Not by going into some deep dive into the deep corners of the internet to find whatever hypothesis fits my conclusions. And we wait. Not tapping our watches. We wait with joyful expectation because we know that God's promise will be true. That he will come. Not on our timelines, but on his timeline. 
So this frees us. It frees us from having to be impatient in our waiting because we know that God's word never returns empty, that it always bears fruit. And my friends, the good news is that Jesus is here with us here and now because he says, I am with you always. Our waiting is over, at least in terms of the Messiah coming. Because Jesus says, I am here amidst the storms and stresses of life. And when COVID is all over, guess what? There will be more storms and stresses. Life goes on as it always has, and there will always be storms and stresses this side of heaven. But Jesus says, I am here with you now. So our jobs is to prepare ourselves to be able to wait and watch for Jesus as he comes to us here and now in scripture and in sacrament. Because he says, I will fill you with myself that where I am there you may also be. And so as he's here with us now, we are also preparing ourselves for that day when he will arrive again. And that may or may not be in our lifetimes, but it doesn't matter. Because the promise holds true no matter what. And in closing, we are reminded by St. Paul that we are stewards of the great mysteries of God. And the word mystery is where we get the word sacrament. The sacrament is a mystery. In the sense of we don't know the exact hows to explain how God comes to us and speaks to us through the scriptures and how God fills us with the body and blood of Christ through bread and wine. But we receive them from the promise of God that they will be what Jesus says they are. Paul is addressing priests specifically, those who are entrusted with the sacramental ministry of the church. But he's also addressing all the baptized. Because as I said last week, we are all ombres of Christ, right? The ombre is the little cabinet where we keep the consecrated bread and wine. We have received God's word into our heart and mind. We will receive God's, Christ's body and blood into our bodies. And so now we are responsible to steward those mysteries. Not just for an hour on Sundays, but every day of our life. Watching and waiting where the Lord makes, him presence, makes himself present in our midst. So my friends, let us turn to John as John turns us to Christ and teaches us to watch and wait for his presence here among us. Amen.